listening to the Game Industry Dobbers podcast. I am James Batchelor, and this week I am joined by staff writer Jeffrey Russo and Christopher Dream. Normality restored. <laughs> We're going to be talking about the biggest stories from across the games industry. Today we have one story to talk about, and if this episode goes up on time, it will be coinciding with the 20th anniversary of Xbox, the original console launched on 15th of November 2001 in the US, and 20 years later we still have Xboxes, which is quite remarkable um we're going to be diving into kind of our own personal memories of this brand and our own kind of reflections on you know how how the company has evolved its console offering and so forth over the over the last 20 years a crucial point though i guess like um your first experiences with xbox we'll turn to you first jeffrey um i would say my first memory is with the original xbox console where I don't know how my older brother convinced our parents to get one, but our grades were definitely good enough where they looked at the price, they looked at us, and just like, give us some time, and then sooner or later, uh, Saturday mornings, me and my brother are playing Halo, Halo 1. <laughs> oh, wow. You're an OG, you're an OG Xbox player, then. Yeah. <laughs> were you not OG, then, Chris? No, 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 no. My earliest memory of Xbox is a miserable one. It's of Rare being sold to Microsoft. It's <laughs> uh, so not obviously it came out earlier. It came out before in the UK. It came out in March two thousand two, and I remember there being a price war between that and the GameCube before both of them came out. Um, <laughs> but, um, which I remember that um, uh, in the UK, uh, Xbox was like I think they knocked a hundred pounds off the price after the first month, and then. Uh, Nintendo reacted by knocking £30 off the price of its machine before it launched, um, which was uh, which was quite funny. Um, but then it was that September when... Because um, uh, I was such an... Inter- I, I only could... Have, you know, I was a kid. I only had one console, and um, my console was a Nintendo. And I was such a fan of Rare. And that story, which broke in September <clears throat> um, uh, 2002... When um, Rare were, uh, uh, where Rare was revealed as an Xbox studio, was heartbreaking. I was devastated um, uh, because I, I meant I couldn't get to play Rare games anymore. That's my earliest memory of Xbox as a, <laughs> as a, on the outside. My earliest memory of Xbox as a fan um, was actually when I bought it from Zavi in Cambridge, the Xbox 360. And I got a Bioshock with uh, Xbox, you know, um, because I had to be contrary. Everyone else was getting like um, Halo and games like that. And I, I went out and bought Bioshock um, and as was my first game. That's my earliest memory of owning an Xbox. Um, but yeah, nice my memories were not happy. What about yours, James? <laughs> See, I was similar to you. I was, I, yeah, child. I could only afford one console and I had a, I wanted the GameCube because that had all the Nintendo games that, that would have Mario and Zelda and Smash Brothers and, and Star Wars Rogue Leader. So I had no interest in the Xbox like originally when it came out. But then I remember over the coming years, like, you know, the first couple of years after it came out, spending a lot of time at my friends playing Halo multiplayer. Um, it was kind of the new golden eye for us in terms of, you know, getting four mates around a console and playing. Like, I remember the first time I actually had had an xbox i didn't own it uh my friend of mine we had a little cultural exchange i lent him my gamecube for i think it was about two or three months and he lent me his xbox so i played through like most of halo a lot of morrowind uh star wars knights of the old republic i remember playing like through a ton of um xbox games and getting like okay i kind of get why people like this but i'd like my nintendo back please so <laughs> that was uh, that was my first experience of xbox i mean it, it's it's worth reflecting then on the the sheer 
the sheer boldness of, of Microsoft bringing a console in, because at the time, Microsoft was not known for being a games company like you know as much as they are now you know one of the three big platform holders and have been for some considerable time 20 years in fact and at the time like they were there were the windows firm they were the office firm like they they had dealings with games in terms of like you know they enabled pc games on windows and there was a lot of a uh, lot of work they did to, trying to kind of ensure that that windows was the the dominant operating system when it came to pc games but in terms of directly doing games i think it was mostly flight simulator and maybe some golf games so i remember my dad playing age, golf games age, age of empires absolutely age of empires i spent a lot of time playing age of empires too but i remember i, I remember being skeptical i remember like you know what the hell does microsoft know about making a console and oh my god look at it it's a huge black massive slab of plastic <laughs> that they've molded into the shape of an x you know with the shape of the x on the top and the duke controller the original controller was like i know people mock the n64 controller for being for alien hands that have you know, you've, aliens with three hands but the size of the duke it was so uncomfortable to play i, I remember being still being very skeptical and like thinking that this is not going to work but you look at where we are now it's actually like that first xbox really kind of opened some doors in terms of the industry yeah i i, cause I actually think i actually think you're right because i i think what i had expected from xbox at the time was it to be basically them trying to put pc games in the console space so we're going to get flight simulator and age of empires and of course first thing they did was they got halo which was a console game for through um, even though it was a shooter, and then um, and, and even though, even though it originally was going to be a strategy game, yeah, well, so. it also comes from a developer that was known for PC games, and um, and then and then and then and then they bought Rare, who were a console specialist, um, and that's one of the reasons why they bought Rare was because they felt they didn't have that console. They needed a developer to be the people that knew how to make games for the living room, and um, and that's why they bought that studio. But in the end, it was actually Bungie that ended up defining that generation for them. Um, and they also had a little bit... It's interesting because it, I actually think the Xbox is a, a little bit of an evolution of what started with the Dreamcast, right? Mm. The Dreamcast was like the first time people tried to introduce online gaming. They ha- that had a really weird controller as well, right? You know, it was... <laughs> I love it, but it's, it's a bit... It's a bulky, clumsy thing. Um, and then, of course, when the Xbox launched, in the UK anyway, it launched with, I think, Jet Set Radio Future launched with it, didn't it? And there mm-hmm. was a... Another, another, another Sega game. So Sega sort of transitioned some of its titles over to Xbox. You had that Xbox Live, that um, online component, which was a big selling point of Dream. Well, it didn't work for Dream. It didn't really work for Xbox either, but not initially. Uh, you had that sort of um, uniqueness to it that they wanted to push through. So it felt to me like um, they had a bit of Sega and they had um, some support from them and they, had, uh, they bought Rare and then they had the Halo game and it sort of, they found... Maybe they got lucky, you know, maybe it's unfair, but they had some console experience, some console games that meant that actually it wasn't Age of Empires and it wasn't um, Flight Simulator or Solitaire or whatever it is um, people Microsoft was best known for at the time. And it, it sort of paved the way, cause, you know, it paved the way for what was to follow. They obviously built up a good reputation with publishers and developers as well, because, you know, the, the first Xbox was only on the market for, what, four years maybe a five an absolute stretch in some territories but they still managed to not only acquire like a decent number of exclusives but also 
you know, the vast majority of like the big third party games came to Xbox and I'm thinking like I, I believe Grand Theft Auto like Grand Theft Auto 3 yeah, and Vice City and all that all that all came to the Xbox like and at the time that was at, at first that was a PlayStation 2 exclusive that was a big draw for the PlayStation 2 was having the new GTA particularly this seminal masterpiece industry changing GTA coming to PlayStation 2 and then to have that on the Xbox as well when it wasn't you know, the amount of games that were available for PlayStation 2 and Xbox but were weren't available for the GameCube. Like that kind of shows the the headways that, that Microsoft made with third party publishers versus, you know, Nintendo, this very established presence, albeit I know then you know the historical difficulty third parties have had selling their games on Nintendo. But even so, like for this new player to come into this very, very established place and be almost on almost a level peg with Sony by the end of the generation in terms of what was being released on their machine, that was yeah, quite a but- quite an achievement. I remember. I, oh, John Jeffrey. Oh, thank you. Um, I remember around that time that it it was still, you know, amongst our friend groups because we were just so indoctrinated with the PlayStation and Nintendo consoles. It, and we were just coming off of you know the Dreamcast not doing so well. It was just really hard to comprehend how are the people behind our computers going to, you know, do um, in a market? But, of course, you know, um, I didn't realize then that, you know, how prominent PC gaming was as far as on the technical level. And then once, you know, we started playing on a console, then I realized, oh, okay, so what you're really doing is that you're you're quote-unquote trying your best to bring that over onto the console side at least with the first xbox anyway and um i think i didn't think they had a shot until how well halo did reached you know news like local and like cnn and then of course halo 2 i don't i obviously i'm sure you both and everybody was somewhere that they remember during Halo 2. I remember, you know, friends going to a midnight release and then, you know, just playing a campaign with them. Um, but yeah, it was around then when collectively, I guess, everyone just realized, okay, well, this is here to stay without questioning. You know, the the choices and pickings aren't up to par yet, but this is really establishing things. Yeah, well, that's what it was. Like, the uh, first Xbox was, was a, a, on most terms, a failure. It sold really badly, you know. And um, yeah, I, I, Jeffrey's obviously f- f- in the US, where it was pretty much the only market for Xbox. <laughs> it developed a small audience in the UK, but at the time it was no bigger than... It wasn't much bigger than what the N64 was. And um, um, the, the, the thing with Xbox is it reminds me of the Wii U in some regards, in that it did enough right things that it allowed Xbox to go, right, well, we messed up. The, the controller wasn't good enough. The design wasn't good enough. The output wasn't good enough. Um, we hadn't marketed this properly. We had This hadn't been... And what we'll do is we'll go into the 360 and we'll fix all of these things. We came out too late. PS2 dominated, right? You know, it was the dominant console worldwide. Xbox, you know, Xbox sales are not even, not even a, you know, a, you know, a third of that. It's not even a quarter of that. Um, so it's... it's, it's even less than that um so it's it was a um it was one of those devices where because i i just i have this this might be live by the time um, this podcast goes out 
because um, uh, I, I've just done a piece about this isn't Xbox's nostalgia moment, right? I think, I think if you ask people their memories of Xbox, most people, they'll talk about Xbox Live and how Xbox Live changed. When PlayStation first came out in 1995, it changed the games industry. It was discs. It was the moment the games industry went from 2D to 3D. It was the moments where games went from being really nerdy and, and sort of to being relatively cool. It was like a proper, a proper inflection point. And when Xbox 360 happened, that was another one. That's when it went from standard definition to high definition. That's when online gaming became a standard, really. You know, digital gaming started to become a thing back then. And um, 360 led that. It was out there before PS3. Nintendo were going off of their Wii at the time. So it was, um, well, they were about to. So it was, a, it was a 360 where things really changed for Xbox and they became the home of third-party games, right? That, that was, 360 was where, you, you know, Call of Duty, Assassin's Creed, where you bought those games and, and sort of the power shifted um, towards Microsoft. And that was because they really changed the games industry with the 360. And I think a lot of people's memories, it did, it did like 85, 90 million units, the Xbox 360, um, so, which is, you know, when you think the original Xbox did, to what, 24, 24 million, something like that. Um, it, it was a huge jump. Uh, for that console and the first xbox laid all the groundwork for it you know it's set up they brought in halo it set up um xbox live they got all this stuff ready but it was a 360 that took that into the stratosphere and i think where i think when we're talking 20 years of 360 i think that's going to generate there'll be so much memories and sharing there that you probably don't get with 20 years of xbox because it just wasn't as popular no Um, that's fair, but but like you said, like it, it laid the foundation. Like I, I've been talking to again, this hopefully will be live by the time the uh, podcast goes live. But I've been talking to a number of people who were involved with the launch, and one of the things that some of them have, them have been saying, and I find hard to argue with, is you look at what the original Xbox was, regardless of whether or not it took off. What it was in terms of um, you know very powerful console with internal hard drive in a- enabling you to kind of download demos and download like smaller digital titles xbox live this kind of subscription-based online game service that enabled online gaming and all of its biggest titles all these different features that is like the standard the, the, those are the basic fundamental features of most games consoles that followed it afterwards like yeah. so it, it, it kind of set that template you're right it didn't do as well as it didn't even come close to doing as well as ps2 I, it probably did better than GameCube because the poor old GameCube suffered uh, narrowly. But... Narrowly, it was like okay. it, was, it did a little better, but it was neck and neck between those two. Okay, well, but the, the GameCube was better. We all know that. <laughs> but um, but, but it, it, it set the template. It, set, it laid down the template. This is what a games console can be, and that's a template that, that um, platform holders are kind of still building on now. Which again, I, and yes, some of that came from the Dreamcast. The Dreamcast can, you know started with the whole online gaming thing. They kind of uh, Peter Moore actually, uh, you know, who who worked at sega and then went to work at xbox like he says like we kind of passed the baton like you know sega passed the baton of online gaming on consoles from sega to microsoft and it's like yeah actually that that kind of works i there's a tiny part of me like my my, my fascination with parallel universes i'd love to see a world where the dreamcast didn't fail because you think about it like you know when microsoft was launching or at least when no when microsoft was was put was developing the xbox you had three very established very long running players in the market you had nintendo and sega had been going for decades and you had sony who admittedly had only had one console for what you know 5ish years but as you say, Chris, changed the industry. So to be going up against all three. Now, Sega then dropped out. I think it was six months before the Xbox even launched. Sega discontinued the Dreamcast, which then made you know, brought it back down to a kind of a two horse race, relieving you know, that, that third that third pillar, that kind of 
third place void for Xbox to fill. I'd be intrigued to see what would have happened had Sega survived and you had four consoles duking it out. That's it. That that generation. Well, mm. I imagine our jobs right now wouldn't be too fun <laughs> if that was the case. <laughs> um, it. What, what what I think about is um, I don't – this is just me just thinking. I, I, I don't know how much the Dreamcast's quote-unquote failure affected the launch of the Xbox, but I do think that while the first console didn't do so well, it was establishing what is now, you know, the groundworks of what you expect out of a console that you'll play something, you go online – it's quote-unquote functionally uh, supposed to do what it does. That I know that can mean so many things these days, but we're not going to get into that. That's a different um, podcast. But um, yeah, and, and when I think about that transition from the Xbox to the 360, um, it really did elevate our expectations of what we, we expect out of games now, that you'll play the game... If there's any downloadable content, what have you, you'll be notified of that, and you'll go online for a, what is considered, you know, a, a relatively smooth process. And e- even now, you know, when I think about what Xbox has done, even within, um, I don't know if I want to use meme culture, but like gaming enthusiast history. There's always that joke, right, about, like, how our experiences were, like, on Xbox Live. How, oh, you know, I, I went on Xbox Live, I played games, and, and, and people treated me like dirt. Even though that was a joke, there's a lot of truth behind that. But, you know, it's just that so many people were exposed to that. And then that really built up people's expectations. And e- even now, when, when we think about really competent online, and this is not a dig to any other console or platform... We tend to think about Xbox Live and what it is and what it has become over the years. And, and when you sit down and you think about it, before it was just that you were able to find people provided that you had a really good in- internet connection. And then from there, you know, you, you, you have what we now, um, I guess, kind of take for granted. You have all these features, community groups, chat, and Xbox just kept running with the ball. It kept refining it. And then it got to the point yeah. that other platform makers... Because they weren't up to speed, it really started... It was a dig. It was a minus. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Chris. No, no. I was agreeing with you. Uh, the uh, PlayStation has sort of caught up to a degree. I think PSN's pretty good now. But, um, the, um, but yeah, uh, Xbox got there first, developed it, mastered it, refined it. You know, they charged for it. So they invested. They, were, they had money to keep investing in it. Things from achievements to avatars and all this kind of stuff that they brought in during the 360 era. And um, it meant that everyone else was playing catch up. Even now, you know, they're seen as the masters of online. And, and you know, that's Microsoft's experience, right? That's what they've they've done. And they've always been a bit like this. You know, you actually talked about earlier Microsoft and Sega. Uh, and there is an ill, it didn't really work out, but there was an ill fated partnership between the Dreamcast and Windows CE, um, which yes. is a, a sort of operating system that allowed the idea was developers could make games for the PC using Windows and it would. They could work on Dreamcast. It didn't really work out entirely well. You read about it online if you want to. But that was sort of an early um, example of, of Microsoft trying to do some stuff um, in the sort of, you know, in the service way. Right? This is a service-based company. This is a business that's always been about, um, it's been less about building boxes 
and they've always been about like you know software and uh, even now it's, it's manifesting itself now in, in, a, in a more extreme way where everyone's talking about game pass uh primarily not the xbox series devices but even back then you know xbox live was a thing in itself uh if you if you look at the biggest innovations that microsoft's ever done you wouldn't really say it was the hardware you, you would say it's the it's the services they built around it whether it was xbox live whether it's you know even things like on the 360 era when they just changed the operating system i remember the first time they did that yeah you normally have to buy a new console to get a new background on your (laughs) you know nintendo never gave you a different background on the gamecube but here i was xbox and it felt like i got a new xbox when i turned it on and i no longer had the blades um and it's and that 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 was new back then but that's of course that was normal for a company that was used to shipping operating systems um and it was um and that and that's that's what it's changed they brought pc gaming into the console space but the bits that made sense you know they didn't put the mouse and key well they did bring mouse and keyboard in but they didn't they didn't think that was ever going to be the thing they added elements of pc and and computing into the console era which and uh, console area and it and it worked and and you know i think the games industry has definitely been greatly improved by xbox um uh and I think they continue to be, whether it's improved, but they're definitely, they're changing things now, right? They're going, they're continuing to drive um, transformation in the console space um, through their, again, not through hardware necessarily. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the hardware. It's great, but it's through Game Pass and it's through cloud gaming and it's through that sort of stuff. And it's, um, I think that's been Xbox. Is, there's one thing through line that has connected that very first Xbox to what we're playing on now. I think it's that. You can see that in their hardware. Like, so uh, the, the people I've been speaking to for this feature, like, they keep, they, a lot of them said almost exactly word for word, they said the same thing. Xbox is a software, uh, sorry, Microsoft is a software company, not a hardware company. That is why the first console looked so horrific. Um, and, and, and that's also partly why, like, the, the first generation lasted so, so it, it was so brief. It's because they couldn't reduce the cost of those hardware. I think because they'd done certain partnerships with other people to get the actual components and the parts of the, uh, of the original Xbox. There wasn't a way that they could reduce the cost and improve kind of the um the profitability of it uh so they they rather it would have been so expensive to kind of re-engineer the original xbox into a way that it it made less of a loss that they decided to make a new console instead which is how we got the 360 and like that makes sense um so it's it's not a hardware company, and you can kind of see that in the design. No offense to Microsoft, but like the design of all the Xboxes. Okay, 360 had a bit more of a sleeker, nicer design. But then Xbox One, Xbox One S, Xbox One X, Xbox Series XS, like all of the previous ones, they have literally just been a box, an unassuming black or white box, because it doesn't matter the form factor, it just matters the services and the software it's provided. Whereas Sony takes great care in designing its hardware. You look at the PlayStation 5, like... Yeah, I sort of agree. I think there is something... PlayStation's a bit more of a fashion item, I think, and you get that come across. Um, But I really like... Remember when they did the Xbox 360? Was the Xbox 360... S when they did that nice sleek black model, I quite like the look of that. That was, that was quite nice, yeah. Yeah, and and I and I and I and I quite like. Um, I actually think the Xbox Series S looks very nice. Um, but I know what you mean. They are quite, you know, they they they're quite. They're, they're quite basic, I guess. They're not. They're not. They're not trying to. They're not trying to make a statement. And then I don't. It's that, that's that thing. I always I made a joke about it before that I always think a good games console design is one that you can imagine in twenty years having on your keyring. 
Um, <laughs> and um, and what that means is it was at the time it looked weird and funky, and in the future it looks retro and strange. <laughs> and um, like you, I can a GameCube or um, actually I don't think the N sixty four looks very good. I think it's the controller is the iconic bit of that. And mm. even though the controller was is is rubbish, <laughs> um, and um, and it's the and the GameCube and the and the and the, and the stuff like that. And so uh, and I think you get that. You don't really get that with PS three or PS four really. You do get it with um, PS five and yeah. I don't know. I, I, I think I think I think there's been some good Xbox designs, but I know what you mean. It's not their speciality. It isn't never been their. Um, they're all. They're, they are such a. Gr- I, I think they've done quite a good job. I think I think it's it's not fair. But you're right. A PlayStation at its heart has always been a hardware company, whether it's making Walkmans or, or TVs. And Xbox has always been about sort of you know OSs and stuff. But you know Xbox has been doing it for twenty years now. I think they're now to make a console. Um, and um, and it's. Uh, it's uh it, it, it's it's yeah i i i don't it's interesting because i actually don't, i don't think that first xbox is a particularly nice looking um device um in in many ways uh probably a product of necessity more than um yeah, uh, uh, i actually quite like the look of the 360 i think that was that was quite striking and and you know uh, uh particularly you know uh, it's that weird thing is that when they did the red ring of death and that has a big thing a big defining moment in the in the xbox's lifestyle life cycle and um and there were the pictures of the xbox with the red around the rings i actually thought that looks cool <laughs> <laughs> no no we never wanted to see that but that looked, i thought it looked cool it was it was a distinct image yeah it's, uh, that, 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 this is the thing for all uh, um... Xbox 360 will always be remembered for the good things that it did, like you said, like the you know the the ways it advanced the industry. But it will also always be remembered for that one console bricking error that we all suffered at one point or another. So. Yeah, yeah, but I, I think a lot of consoles have those sort of things. Like the PS2 was horribly beset by piracy. Like you know, we don't talk about that very often, but it was it was it was a machine that was ravaged by it. And the 360 had the Red Ring of Death, and obviously Xbox had to basically re- re- replace all of them at a massive cost to the company. And then the Switch, <laughs> even now, the Switch, which I think is one of the greatest games consoles ever made, has the has the Joy-Con issues yeah. um, with it. And I think I think they all have these little moments in them. But I think it's about you know, yeah, there's some, there's something going on with those sort of things. But I, I, I yeah, it, but I think it's how you react to it. And um, you know, PlayStation Two, you know, carried just kept growing its audience, and on the back of that piracy, and and um, well, it's not on the back of it, but it didn't it didn't help? It didn't it didn't harm them in terms of growing the install base. Um, and um, and uh, uh, you know, and Xbox. You know, their reaction to the Red Ring of Death was like, now they've got to fix this. They've got to replace everybody's console. And, and the result of that meant that the 360 was probably the... Wait, how long did that console live for? It came out in 2005 and it got replaced only for eight years. Yeah. That's, um, that's a long old life cycle. Um, that's I think that, remains, that remains like the longest console generation from what I remember. I think that's why the previous one felt so short. You know, maybe just to me, maybe just the passage of time changed, you know, lost all meaning by the time we were into Xbox One and PS4 territory. But honestly, it didn't feel like that long before we were talking about, you know, Project Scarlet and all those. But the 360, the fact that it lasted eight years, the fact that it it went on that long, like that, as far as I can, as far as I can tell, that is the longest console generation. And like, yeah, it, it kind of feels like that's, from a consumer point of view, yes, I'd like to get almost a decade out of my console before having to spend you know shift you know spend three four hundred pounds on a replacement <laughs> well that's what that's what xbox did so well so the the 
I think it's, I think it's the longest cycle in terms of when it was started manufacturing and when it when it started being retailed and when it's when the new one a new one came out. I think PS2 lived for longer overall, um, but obviously there was a PS3 launch before the PS2 stopped being a thing. But the yeah. the the um, the that's the thing with changing the operating system, right? Updating the hardware, introducing mm. things like Connect late in the life cycle. All of that stuff kept Xbox around. Xbox just they updated it. They did what you do with computers. You know, they updated the machine without replacing the machine. And that was new. It hadn't happened before. Um, and um, and we're talking about 360 here rather than the original Xbox. But it was that's one of the big things that event, you know, all the other console makers sort of followed. So and I think when it comes to sort of how generations felt longer, I think it's a part of that. I think today is that games take so much longer to make. Because during the 360 era, we got what five Assassin's Creeds, like, <laughs> Call of Duties. We got, which is that, that's normal. But then you also got um, two Grand Theft Autos and um, a Red Dead. You know, about six Rockstar games. You had three Bioshocks. You know, you had all of that kind of stuff. And then the following generation is taking people four, five, six years to just get games out. You know, we had one Rockstar yeah. game. You know, it, it's it is a. Um, I, that's what I think has made the generations feel there, a bit small, shorter. We've had fewer are, games. There are entire franchises that just skipped the previous generation that we didn't get a new. We didn't get a new Elder Scrolls. I know we got Elder Scrolls online, but that was a different team. We didn't get a new Elder Scrolls. We didn't get a new Bioshock. We all, we almost did. We didn't get a new Grand Theft Auto. We almost didn't get a new Red Dead Redemption. Like there were so many franchises, big franchises that we that made a real kind of mark on the previous generation that didn't do anything on the last generation you know, on that 360 ps3 generation they made a mark there and then didn't appear on the xbox one ps4 generation i think that's what's what's interesting but we have slight tangent slight tangent um i'm gonna start to wrap us up i don't want to i don't want this one to drag too long so like uh, fondest memories of the original xbox and indeed xbox in general over the 20 years like what are fondest memories chris i'm going to start with you um i'm going to pick a game i, I if that's that's probably the best way of doing it. And I'm going to pick Fable 2. Um, ah, nice. Uh, I I became... So I got an Xbox 360. I stopped becoming a bit of a Nintendo... I was never really a fanboy, but I, I stopped becoming Nintendo only when I saw my friend playing Bioshock. I worked as a, in, a, in games testing. And ugly, we tested PS3 games, which were amazing. But I saw my friend play Bioshock. I wanted Bioshock. It wasn't on the PS3. Or uh, maybe it was. I don't know. I went and got a 360 because they also had rare games. And I mentioned earlier, I'm a big fan of rare. So the chance to go back to play those rare games was very appealing to me. So I got a 360. And um, I had a great Christmas playing Halo 3 and Call of Duty and the Orange Box. And all of those are wonderful games. Brilliant games. Wonderful. I remember that Christmas very fondly. Um, but it was, I think it was the following year or something like that when Fable 2 sort of landed. Maybe it was the same year. Um, my memory's not great. But Fable 2 landed. And um, it, was the f- it was the first time that I felt that, you know, Xbox wasn't just an online social network, really, where I got to play cool shooter games and stuff. It was the first time I sort of felt um, a game that felt felt homely, felt special to me. had sort of nestled in my little heart, um, filled me with a sort of joy that previously I'd only really got from, I only really felt when I played Zelda games. Um, and uh, it was, it was, it was British. I, I love British games. The, 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 the quintessential ones, the ones that are um, quirky and weird and bizarre and just, and it was so much delightful. And you know, I actually find it weird that we, that game's Fable 2 has never been topped by a subsequent Fable game. It is the, <laughs> it always felt like it was on the precipice. I thought the next Fable game is going to be the best game ever. And the fact that it wasn't and then that everything derailed from there is, is, um, is for me, is like a, 
thing. But I just remember that getting that getting Fable Two and then just falling in love with it. Um, I also it was a time when I was at MCV at the time and um, I was I was a bit of a workaholic. I worked a lot, not because I was being forced to, because I just loved my job. And um, I uh, and I, I and every time someone told me a game that was like thirty hours long or forty hours long, I'm like, yeah, I'm not playing that. And when Fable Two came along, I said, oh, I'm not playing that. It looks like a massive RPG. And someone said, I completed it in 10 hours. And I went, okay. And the thing is, I did play Fable 2 for like 30, 40 hours. Um, because it just because it was a game you could complete really quickly if you just went through the game. Um, and I think I owned half the properties of the... Uh, in the I just, what a wonderful game that is. And um, I'm delighted they're doing a new Fable. But um, that's probably my happiest Xbox memory was that Christmas playing Fable 2. Nice. <laughs> Jeffrey, what about yourself? Um... I'm going to say when I played Halo 1 with my brother and when we were going through co-op and then, you know, you've encountered a flood and and just, you know, how they decided to do the whole, um, you know, set piece kind of thing um, in, in, in shooters and then... You could tell subsequently, like, after that, many people followed the same suit in their own way. So then that continued on with Halo 2, then 3. And, um, yeah, just playing the the first three Halos, I would say, uh, cooperatively. Yeah, it was, it was really fun. And also just seeing, like, the early vestiges of what is now considered contemporary uh, online gaming experience was, was also really interesting as well. So I look fondly on those yeah i'm not much of a multiplayer gamer i'm very much a single player gamer but i guess yeah the the, the memories i remember of my of, of xboxes do tend to be multiplayer centric like um three brief one comes to mind like uh, two on 360 like i remember um at the time i had the 360 i lived in a flat with a couple of mates both of whom had a 360 as well so we would just bring our 360s and our tvs into the lounge set up a little lan and we would be doing co-op on you know like halo 3 or borderlands and we'd just be playing whole weekends and then like that was the guitar hero generation and, and rock band so like we would be playing those every weekend and it would just be massive multiplayer fests all the time um And then on the original Xbox, I remember my first ever experience of online gaming, which looking back on it is nowhere near as kind of toxic. It's not even vaguely toxic, but like is it's indicative of of how attitudes towards other players on multiplayer games would would be. I remember playing Halo 2 around a friend of mine's house. Don't remember what map, don't remember what mode. All I remember is I wasn't doing very well. And I'm on the I'm on the chat and you've got completely random people on the uh, on the chat like, you know, coordinating and I kind of kept quite quiet because I was a bit nervous. I've never played with complete strangers before. And all of a sudden you hear someone go, hey, our, our score's really low. Who, who keeps dying? And I piped up I was like, uh, sorry, that would be me. And there was a long pause and you just heard Ah, oh, hell. <laughs> and honestly, I've not really improved much since. But yeah, that's just that's just a fun... Anytime someone says Xbox Live, I'm instantly transported back to 2004 and that evening. That is all we've got time for. Thank you so much for listening to us. Um, head to Games and Drop Biz. You can find plenty more on Xbox's 20th anniversary. We've uh, kind of dug in and done some very kind of interesting deep dive features. And of course, Chris's opinion piece on, on the impact of Xbox. You can find all previous episodes of this podcast on the podcasting platform of your choice. And as always, you can get more news, insight and analysis into the world behind video games at gamesindustry.biz. Music